Welcome to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Listen to in-depth discussions about different legal fields and hear insights and lessons learned from practitioners across our enterprise. Chapter 37, Administrative Law. Welcome to this edition of JAG Talk. My name is Lieutenant Ryan Turner. I am currently assigned as an action officer at OJAG Code 13, which is fortunate because that is the topic of today's podcast. In a moment, I will introduce you to several current and former officers assigned to this division. But before we get to that, some background information may be helpful. Located at the Pentagon, the Office of the Judge Advocate General Administrative Law Division, better known as Code 13, is an office of approximately 20 uniformed attorneys, two civilian attorneys, and three civilian employees. Known as the JAGS Law Firm, this division is subdivided into four focused branches. Branch 131 is Personnel Law. Branch 132 is Standards of Conduct and Government Ethics. Branch 133 is Legislation, Regulations, Freedom of Information Act, Privacy Act, and Disability Law. Branch 134 is Command Authorities. Whether it's transgender policy, First Amendment issues, evacuation of dependents, regulatory changes, promotions and discharges, or social media conduct, very few issues come before the JAG that don't involve at least one of Code 13's branches. But the attorneys at Code 13 also have collateral duties. One attorney acts as the OJAG Professional Responsibility Coordinator, providing informal professional ethics advice to other judge advocates, tracking bar statuses, conducting training for the Naval Justice School, and assisting the Rules Council in administering the Professional Conduct Program on behalf of JAG. Another attorney serves as Staff Judge Advocate and Ethics Counsel for the U.S. Navy Chief of Information, better known as CHINFO. And another serves as Staff Judge Advocate for the Chief of Chaplains of the Navy. Upon special request from the Office of the Vice President, one attorney is on temporary assignment to provide ethics advice to the Vice President's staff. Code 13 is also a primary source of OJEG surge capacity, often deploying attorneys on short notice to support high visibility investigations. With that background in mind, let's get to the experts. Major Ellis, welcome to the JAG Talk podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, for having me here. Please introduce yourself for our listeners. My name is Alexis Ellis. I am a major in the Marine Corps, and I am currently the deputy branch head for personnel law in OJAG Code 13. Ma'am, if you could, please describe for our listeners what Branch 131 does. Of course. We essentially have our um, bread and butter, if you will, is the promotion cycle, the promotion process. So by statute, JAG reviews, um, conducts a legal review for all promotions boards. So we handle the five-year plan. We handle the legal review for the convening orders that actually convene each board for the Marine Corps and the Navy. Uh, And then we also handle the report of procedures after the boards. That's kind of the the main thing that we do because, again, it's by statute. JAG has to review these things. So that's essentially where 13 comes in, 131, to do the legal review for uh, the JAG and the AJAG uh, if it's delegated. Um, And then out of that comes people that don't get 
promoted due to misconduct or alleged misconduct, any kind of incident. So we handle those outside of the cycle. We call them individual packages. And that's kind of really where more of the fleet would get involved is that why is an officer not getting promoted? He was selected and why is he not getting promoted? And then, of course, we handle a number of other things that are related to promotions, Um, special boards. We handle retirements for flag, a little little side things. But our bread and butter is essentially the promotion process. Ma'am, can you describe for our listeners how they might see Branch 131's operations affect the fleet? So the effect, obviously, the easiest one is promotions, right? That by us being here at 13, we allow the machine to promote and sometimes not promote. If you kind of whittle it down to a smaller scale, I think the tool that 13 can provide the fleet outside of are my sailors and Marines going to promote, not promote? How do we handle that to ensure that works? But I think we can also say, hey, if you know, if you have someone in your command who is not promoting, you're able to provide your CO the background, what is going on with that officer. Ma'am, something that struck me when I first arrived at PL was the approval level of many of our packages. In my jobs as an SJA or a trial counsel, we routinely sought approval from the first 06 in the chain of command or the first flag officer in the chain of command. But in personnel law, the approval authority is oftentimes the secretary of the Navy, the secretary of defense, or a nomination by the president requiring confirmation by the Senate. Did you have a similar experience when you first started at PL? When you are kind of doing your day-to-day, your litigation, your SGA, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, a lot, you're right, you're a lot stops with your 06, um, your general officer, your flag officer, and, you know, in the Marine Corps especially, I feel like uh, a lot ends and starts with the commandant. Um, And so you're right. I think it gives a good big picture of, hey, there are some things, we are the Department of the Navy, things funneled down from Congress that funneled down through to our, um, the Secretary of the Navy. And there are some very big picture guidelines that you get in this job, how the machine runs. Speaking of your personnel law experience, how long have you served there at Code 13? This will be my my second year this June. All right. And how many uh, Marines do you get to serve with there at Code 13? I am currently alone at Code 13. And unafraid, I hope? <laughs> Always unafraid. But it's it's been uh, different and unique. I, I think that just being at the Pentagon makes any kind of experience unique in that sense. But I think one of my jobs is to not only do legal review, but also to liaison. The Marines will almost exclusively only reach out to me and kind of providing that connection between the Marine Corps to the Navy, to the Department of the Navy. Major Ellis, as a Marine, what did you know about OJAG Code 13 prior to reporting? Well, I have to be honest, Ryan, that when I got orders to Code 13, my first step was to go to Google and to input OJAG Code 13. (laughs) Did you happen to discover a link to uh, a fine work of fiction? by Don Brown. I did not. I did not. I did not know anything 
other than what JAG, uh, the JAG website provided essentially, which is generically administrative law, because I didn't know what branch I would be going into until I reached out and talked to the Marine that was already there. I think as a Marine, I didn't know anything really relative to how the JAG Corps and the Navy is structured um, and really how it relates and funnels through the JAG to um, the Department of the Navy. Uh, And I I feel like I could have, that would have been a little bit helpful to have that kind of background a little bit more. But uh, I, I came in with relatively no background of how the JAG Corps and how it relates to the Marine Corps and how they both funnel into the Department of the Navy. So you work in the personnel law branch, which is branch 131, correct? Yes. And it is the best branch, correct? Obviously, most important. So beyond your well-earned title of PL Warrior, what other skills do you anticipate taking back to the Marine Corps when you return in about a year? Well, uh, obviously it will depend on the billet and how it interacts, but I think it comes in a number of ways. I think on a level, I have better writing skills, I think, to a degree, although I came from a litigation background, which is mostly motions process kind of thing for writing. I think this is more kind of concise writing um, for, hey, this is this is what I'm providing. We do a lot of route slips, which contain our legal review, talk about topics, background for the JAG and for the AJAG. So kind of providing these short, concise, get it down to one, one page, that kind of writing, I think can benefit a lot, for example, SJAs, and also just an understanding of how the Navy and the Marine Corps interact with the Department of the Navy, um, I think could really help them certain billets and certain jobs that I have that are offered to me. Obviously, the Marine Corps does do some of their own personnel law, um, so that would help. But I think one of the biggest things is, again, the interaction that the Marine Corps and the Navy JAGs, non-JAGs have that kind of go through and up into the Department of the Navy. Because I think when you're in in the kind of the trenches, if you will, a lot of things stop with the commandant. But, you know, things do go past him. And I think uh, this job has provided an important reminder that there is more out there, I guess, in the Department of the Navy. Are there any other skills or experiences you think would be beneficial for an officer assigned to Code 13, particularly to Branch 131 in personnel law? I think it can help, I think, individually as well to just kind of understand for yourself. I think the first time you ever kind of sit down and understand the process, what is seen at promotion boards, um, and then eventually what is seen by the Secretary of the Navy, I think uh, can help you in your own, um, for you personally, in your career. So for professional development purposes, it it makes sense to have your own understanding. That's great. Right. Speaking of junior officers, uh, what would you tell somebody who's considering, Marine or sailor, uh, an assignment to Code 13? I think you have to know it's a tough job. Uh, however, it develops much of your skills as um, as a JAG, writing, briefing, writing a lot, <laughs> um, and getting those kind of things down time management, even even something as small as that in an office that is very busy, that's very important. 13 is a really good job to make 
connections. You have the front office just down the way. You have the secretary of the Navy's attorneys just down the way. And I think that for any Marines that are listening, to know that the judge advocate division, so all the Marine Corps lawyers, they're just one corridor away. You get seen a lot, you get interaction, you get to see the general. So it also helps you, even though you're with the Navy and in a sea of blue, you know, you're still here, you get interaction, your name gets out there and um, you can make some really good work connections through, through 13. So work ethic, connections, and I think personal development, 13 does a lot for that. During a midweek Microsoft Teams meeting, several Code 13 alumni offered their perspective of their time at Code 13. Let's hear from Commander Gavin Montague and Commander Joe Griffo. My name is Commander Gavin Montague. I came to Code 13. It was my second tour. I, I had just come out of the, what was then called the Navy Legal Service Office, the NILSO in, in Hawaii, where I had been a uh, legal assistance attorney, defense counsel. When folks ask me, I say, I think everybody, if you have the opportunity, you know, should try and do a, a tour of Code 13, because I think, one, you're going to get an incredible depth of knowledge in whatever area you end up working. I mean, I spent a lot of time in PL and, and but most folks are lucky enough to get into some other areas and develop that expertise in other areas while they're there. Whatever the case is, you're going to get you're going to get time developing an expertise in a specific area of the law that is going to be a core Navy JAG practice, whether it's personnel law, administrative law, ethics, uh, those sort of things. Secondly, is the number of people you're going to be exposed to. So it is a big office. The number of people you're going to get to work with, you know, great lawyers, great JAG officers, both from the Navy and the Marine Corps. So and so building those contacts with people, you're going to be trial by fire sort of stuff. It, it, it happens. Code 13 can be a stressful environment, but you're working closely with people and hopefully you're, you're, you're working well together so that those people are folks you're going to reach out to throughout your, your JAG Corps career when you have questions about things you don't know. And let's face it, there's there's too much out there for everybody to know it all. Uh, and the, the chance to develop relationships, uh, trusting professional relationships with people is a huge huge bonus for going into a place like 13. You need to be able to draw on those in your career if you're going to be successful and give the best advice you can to your clients. So that kind of segues into how are you supporting the fleet? You're supporting the fleet at Code 13 by doing a good job, doing a great job at what you're what you're assigned to do. But you're also building a skill set that's going to stay with you and allow you to serve your clients better throughout your career in the JAG Corps and also developing those connections that are going to give you resources. So when you're working as an SJA for fleet forces or something down the line, you know, who are you going to call when you get to any issue that you've never dealt with? You know, I know half a dozen, maybe a dozen people that I ran into in my time at 13 that I feel comfortable reaching out to. And then skill-wise, you're, you you will be getting the, the chance to read, write, research, briefs, uh, eventually senior leadership, whether it's within the JAG Corps, potentially uh, outside the JAG Corps, depending on the issue, some of the commanders and uh, senior level staff that are in the Pentagon. So you're, you'll also have a chance to develop your skill set, I think. So those are my, those are my, that's my pitch for 13. 
uh, Joe Griffo. Before I got to 13, I had one tour prior. It was um, the Nilso, then Nilso. We should bring back Nilsos if anyone's looking at this from a CR perspective. So what did I do at 13? I did PL and I did command authorities. I did not do ethics. And, and that's one of the things I would tell folks, even though we talk a lot about ethics, and I know 13 is ethics, but the whole JAG court should know, you don't just do ethics at 13. So when I left 13, everyone pegged me as, oh, I'm the ethics expert. I had no idea how to do ethics. In fact, I think I got detailed to go to the vice chief's office because I was at 13, but yet I never did ethics. So that's one thing I would tell folks, if you're thinking about 13, it's not just ethics. However, make sure you do ethics because once people hear you're from 13, you better know how to do ethics. A couple of things I'll highlight for why I think it's great to go there. You really learn the organization of the Navy, a big Navy. Whatever job you do after, you'll have a better appreciation for when something is going up chain, you'll understand you know, what office it is. Like, And if you do it right, you'll get to know the people there the, uh, because you never know, you might need to pick up the phone call about a weird gift package or a weird whatever package. So that's that's one of the things I would say, the takeaways you get to learn. And, and that's also true at DOD. So when you get to take issues from the Navy to OSD, you get to see that part of it, which very few people get to see. And you will touch issues sometimes down the line in your career where when you have that kind of intel and organizational intel, it, it's helpful. The other piece I'll highlight for why I think it's a great tour is the relationships. And we've all touched on that. You know, we, I was at 13, eight years ago, I think. Gavin probably started 10 years ago. Like, and we're still uh, just a tight group of people. So something else for new folks coming in. So one of the, the hidden things about 13 is it's the one place you'll do constitutional law. Uh, I got to be the SJA to Chief of Chaplains, which you get to be sued, named personally on, on correspondence. It's great. I, th I think, hey, I think Mike's was uh, more of a uh, violating the fire code, but. <laughs> Our next guest is Lieutenant Commander Jeremy Snellen. Hey, Brian, thanks for, thanks for asking me on. And I've been at OJAG Code 13 for about two years now, so pretty well versed, moved around a couple of the branches in that period. And I started off in Branch 134, Command Authorities, and now I've been in Branch 132, Ethics and Standards of Conduct, for about a year. Sir, could you give our listeners a description of Branch 132, the Ethics and Standards of Conduct branch? Yeah, Ethics uh, Standards of Conduct, people outside of, of OJAG don't understand that it's actually one of the smaller branches within Code 13. Perhaps it has a little bit more public facing, or we send out more products or, or do more outreach, but I'd really put it in about three bins. The first one is, is field calls from the fleet, typically from ethics counselors that have kind of a tough ethics question that they wanna see uh, if we have any uh, historical advice or products that we've given out on it, which, which often we do, or maybe they just kind of need a, an official OJAG opinion because it's something that's gonna have the potential to be high vis. So we have a lot of, of just kind of daily churn on field calls. Then we do have some programs that we run out of code 13. Financial disclosures is probably the biggest one. So we're, we're the um, kind of the top of the pyramid for the 278 program. So that's all the flag officers that have to file the public financial disclosure reports. There's quite a few other packages that'll route through code 13 because either because the JAG front office needs some visibility or because of our kind of historical expertise on those. And those are typically certain gift packages or, or other ethics issues that are going to the Secretary of the Navy for signature or Chief of Naval Operations for signature. 
for the vice chief, and then also assist, assistant secretary of the Navy for military reserve affairs. There's there's certain things that he or she will sign off on that will go through code 13, as you know, Ryan, and, and sometimes those are ethics things that will go through branch 132. And then I'd say that the third kind of piece of the pie that the branch 132 does is kind of ethics counselor management, education and training and and outreach. So that's where you would see the the ethics grams that'll come out from 132. And then we also try our best to maintain an ethics library on, on Code 13 SharePoint portal. Thanks for that description, sir. It may be kind of apparent from the things that you just described, but what are the biggest ways that uh, your branch supports the fleet? I think that field calls are probably the biggest thing we do that's that's directly supporting the fleet because often those are coming directly from you know, carrier strike group, SJAs that, that are ethics counselors or, or some of the other big fleet concentration areas. If a really difficult ethics issue pops up that is going to need some special research or is potentially something that the the front office or the division director of Code 13 needs to know about. It'll probably come to us first and then we'll work it up and brief it. And as soon as we can, we'll get that answer back out to the fleet so that they can continue to do their operations and not have to worry so much about about that problem or or we just get them to the to the best result that we can so there's that and then i think you know with the outreach and the ethics grams really the intent there is to try and distill down the processes as best we can to try and help ethics counselors get to the best result the the least risky course of action and just be as informed as they can so that they can work through these these difficult ethics issues and put their flag officers in the best place that they can be to to go out there and execute. So we're probably one of the more directly fleet-oriented branches within Code 13, I would think. Sir, thank you for that perspective. From the sounds of it, you have two years down and one more to go. After that year is over, how do you expect your experience and uh, the skills you've learned at Code 13 to benefit yourself and the fleet when you depart? Yeah, and this, and I mean, this is probably something that you don't really appreciate as well unless you're in OJAG and maybe Code 13 specifically, but it certainly does make you a better staff judge advocate when you're out there in the fleet for a few reasons. One, you, you understand how policies are made, how instructions are, are written and vetted and the different stakeholders that, that have to look at those and approve those. You understand why certain things are, are important that you don't necessarily appreciate when you're out there in the fleet. And then there's a few kind of really tough idiosyncratic topics that you're not going to be an expert on unless you're in a place like Code 13. So think personnel law, ethics and gifts, financial disclosures. Now that you have a grounding in all those, when you go back in the fleet and you have the ability to be an expert on those, to take those off the plate of a senior SJA or your flag officer and get a good resolution fast and effectively, they are going to be very appreciative of that. And, and that's that's a different way that you can, they can really add value. Are there any things that you wished other people out in the fleet or in the JAG Corps and other places knew about what uh, you do there at Code 13? Um, sure. Yeah, I think you don't quite understand until you get up here that Code 13 is is a small law firm. It's not just ethics. It's not just command authority. There's quite a bit of different practice areas, and you're really working on different things from from all the various pieces of the Navy bureaucracy. But before you come to OJAG, you just see kind of those SJA grams or those ethics grams, but there really is a lot of Code 13. And if you come here and you're here for a full three years, you move around and you get to to get versed up in a whole lot of subject matter. One of the other things I didn't understand 
Code 13 also kind of tends to be uh, the bench for special projects that have to be farmed out out of, out of OJAG or, or the JAG Corps with large think um, high visibility investigations, different working groups or, or various front office taskers. Code 13 has enough people that a lot of times we're going to get plucked for that. Most of the senior staff judge advocates and, and the front office, they're going to know you and, and they're going to rightly assume that if you're at Code 13 and you have a good reputation, then you also have a really good appreciation and attention to detail so that you can be plugged into things like that. So so there's other opportunities. Just being at Code 13 and all the subject matter you get, when you're here for, for two or, or the full three years, there's probably going to be a few other opportunities to go out there and do something else that's kind of a special project or, or high-vis investigation and and that's also just great experience. Great, sir. I really appreciate your time today uh, and all the things that you've shared. Last question, what are the chances that if baseball resumes that the Nats repeat? I think that that is probably unlikely, Ryan. It was a magical season last year, but most baseball teams aren't able to repeat unless unless you're cheating. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think that it's going to happen, but, but I'm, I'm going to enjoy watching it, even if it's just a half season and even if we don't win at all. Lieutenant Commander Kathy Parody and Commander Mary Murphy, two Branch 132 alumni, offer their perspective on their experience at Code 13 and also what others in the fleet should know about Code 13. Before getting to Code 13, I knew it was a good job to go to. I came from a debt, a Nilso debt, where I knew like four Jags and the rest of the Navy. And so the point, I think, for me and my COs at the time was to get me to a place where I would meet a lot more people. And that absolutely happened. I mean, the exposure you get, not just to the JAG community, but obviously that. I think I probably expanded my knowledge of people in the JAG Corps a hundredfold while I was at uh, Code 13, whether it was because I interacted with them regularly in the Pentagon or within the DC metro area, or because having spent actually close to two years in ethics, I talk to people every day. I know more people across the JAG Corps because they called and asked questions and I talked to them on the phone or ex- exchanged correspondence via email. And I think the average 04 that hasn't had a tour like that, like a call center type tour, would know. And so I value that because that helped me establish relationships. And now I call those people when I have questions and they have the expertise. We kind of establish that rapport early on. I... One of the things I wish I'd known um, or wish I'd had before 13 was a little bit more fleet experience. I will say that, you know, having gone from a Nilso to a 13, I lacked that fleet experience. And I think that there's a good balance among most people. This was just kind of more personal to me, but a good balance at Code 13 of people who've had fleet experience and understand how to reconcile that with the flag level analysis. And to Chris's point, you get a lot more time to dig into these issues, um, but also having that perspective of the person on the ground that doesn't have that time to dig in um, and how we can help them. I think that perspective is is key and is super useful. And I gained some of that while I was there, but definitely more after um, I left. So I'm Commander Mary Murphy. I'm the current XO at Rilso Yurasua. I went to the 13 from my first tour at Nilsa Midland. People told me that you should want to go to, and I didn't understand why until then Commander Sharp was explaining to me what he did at Code 13 and just really sold it as a place where you'd become a better lawyer. And I found that to be attractive because I was a brand new lawyer. I'd only you know, been in the Navy for two years. I wanted to hone my skills and Captain Sharp kind of said, 
hey, this is a place where you're going to research, you're going to become a better writer, issue spot better. It's a really great place to go. And he was right. While I was there, I was in PL, and then I moved to ethics. Back then, when I was at Code 13, there were only two action officers in ethics. I felt like I was supporting the fleet directly, as, and I loved what Kathy said about it being a call center. I feel like that's all I did was respond to field calls with ethics issues. And then, you know, how it, it's benefited. I, I, when I went to Sinatra, Sinatra's primarily officers, and it's very junior officers. So understanding the PL process and removals was sort of crucial as we were dealing with all of the potential officer misconduct for these very junior officers. Next on the program, we have Commander Dom Antonucci. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to uh, be on board and uh, doing this with you. Hey, sir, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Of course, yeah. Uh, immediately before this, I was the Region Environmental Council down in the Southeast, which is based out of Jacksonville. That was a great job for anyone thinking about going into environmental work. Before that, I was lucky enough to go get a uh, LLM in environmental law at Georgetown. Before that, I was at OJAG at Code 62. Before that, I was at the Naval Academy. And before that, I was at uh, NILSO PAC doing uh, defense duties and AOIC, all that good stuff. Thanks, sir, for that context. Can you give our listeners a little better idea of what you do on the day-to-day in your role at Code 13? I'm here at Code 13 right now serving as branch head of Branch 133. Branch 133 has several different major areas that we do work in. Let's break those down. So the first one would be legislation and regulations. Secondly, FOIA and Privacy Act. And then third, disability appeals. Sir, could you dig in a little bit deeper and expound upon what each of those areas entails? So on the legs and regs front, every on an everyday basis, there's new legislation that DOD or DON cares about. So I'm on that chop chain that, that OLA pushes out, and um, basically I'm reviewing for any type of OJAG equity, and then I'm um, sending those out to various stakeholders in OJAG or beyond OJAG. And if there's any comments, uh, working those up and feeding those back to OLA, there's a need to get front office review or buy-in, I I coordinate that. Uh, The other sort of side of of the legislative front is the LegProp legislative proposal process. And so any LegProps that we want to pursue within OJAG or CNELSC, I work with those action officers, and that's a long process, sort of annual process working with OLA um, and then up through OSD and then to OMB, sort of the approval process, and then of course over to the Hill after that. That can be um, that can be a good amount of work. Recently, we've been working an electronic notarization ledge prop with Code 16. It may be apparent from that conversation, but how would you say are some of the, the very practical ways that Branch uh, 133 affects the fleet? Maybe most apparent to to JAGs out there in the fleet would be the work that we do, Privacy Act construct, as well as FOIA. 
so not only do we receive field calls from from Jags on the fleet and sort of work the FOIA issues that that are causing some difficulties, we also push out guidance on sort of new new trends and new issues that that we're seeing in case law or best practices at, at the headquarters level. In addition to some high-level policy work, what are some other practical ways that JAGS out in the fleet might see the efforts of Branch 133 in action? Another big area of practice that we have within 133 is regulations. So as you, as you may be aware, there was an, an executive order that came out from the White House last year, which directed all agencies to look at all their regulations and see if there was any fat that could be cut. And so we did that across the whole Navy. And there were several rules that were identified that were JAG-centric rules, but there was, there was plenty more that didn't have a JAG focus. So Code 13, down to the branch 133, was given the, the role of sort of being the lead legal advisor t- to that process. And it's, it's a long, convoluted process to change something in the Code of Federal Regulations. But when it's all done, it's uh, rewarding to get the mission accomplished box checked. Sir, in addition to the efforts Branch 133 puts forth in modifying law through legislative proposals, can you talk about how Branch 133 complies with the law, particularly in the FOIA arena? Sure. Yeah, FOIA is a big lift for 133. We talked a little bit about field calls that come in, that's a small percentage of the FOIA work. The big thing that we do is we handle all the FOIAs that essentially are going to the JAG or to DJAG or to OJAG. So we see a lot of FOIAs that are high-vis. And when FOIAs are high-vis, it's a technical term, per instruction, meet certain criteria, then then the FOIAs need to also be blessed and chopped through DNS, Director of Navy Staff. Think through all the, the most media interest, high-vis issues of the day that the Navy is facing. Chances are there's a number of FOIA requests associated with it. And usually those FOIA requests, they send those direct to headquarters, right, to the Pentagon. They just send it to the JAG. And so Code 13 handles those FOIAs. They, we, we gather up all the responsive documents. We do the proposed redactions. And then and then we coordinate with the, the front office, but also with DNS and other Navy stakeholders. Because typically OJAG at this headquarters level is working closely with other offices where there's JAGs in the E-ring. And so you've got other, other important stakeholders that we also need to coordinate with. So that's FOIA. Privacy Act goes hand in hand. Um, so you'll get you'll get requests that are deemed FOIA and/or Privacy Act. So we've got to got to be up to speed on both of those programs. Um, and the final thing within 133 that we do would be disability appeals. So I wasn't tracking this coming in that, that Code 13 did this. All the reservist line of duty appeals, as well as the combat-related disability appeals, by instruction, Code 13 does the appeals. You know, about 100 a year of each category come through. And so we've always got these appeals in the hopper that we're, that we're working through. We've got two awesome civilians within 133, uh, Steve Dupuy, who's an attorney, and Karen Ramsey, who's paralegal superstar, work up those packages for me and with me. And yeah, so we step through that as well. Those are kind of the, the three big categories of 133. 
Sir, what's something that either you didn't expect or something that our listeners might not know about an assignment to Code 13? Great question. I think, you know, everyone sort of knows it's administrative law, Conehead's uh, nickname or what have you. So I, so I had a sense that it was um, difficult work, you know, administrative law, sort of grind type work. And there's some of that goes on. What, what maybe I wasn't fully tracking and, and what I think is important to track is just the, the level of importance that's associated with our work and maybe just how high viz and and the seniority of the folks that care about and review the work that we're doing is pretty neat, right? So, you know, we're next door to the JAG and DJAG. We're around the corner from the CNO and the Secretary of the Navy. We get to work on the most important issues that the Navy is looking at that week. Chances are Code 13 is going to have a chance to chop on some type of work product that's associated with it. And it's very fast moving. So you don't work on a project very often for multiple days, definitely not for multiple weeks, which um, which can be really rewarding when you, when you when you knock them out and you get this sort of immediate feedback of uh, a real service to an important process. So I guess that's just what I think is really uh, neat about Code 13. It would be good for everybody to know that if you come to Code 13, you're going to get to work on some really neat, complex, and, and high-vis matters. Sir, as a control grade officer, what advice would you have to other O4s and O5 who are considering an assignment to Code 13 where they may become a branch head? Yeah, for me, and I think the other branch heads who are at 13 right now would play agree. It's been a really great experience. You know, if you're an O5 and maybe a senior O4, chances are when you come into Code 13, you're going to quickly move into a branch head role. There's four branches. I know you're covering um, all four of those on this podcast, Ryan, so I won't go into what what the four branches are. But each one, of course, has a branch head. Each one has a number of personnel that you're going to supervise, so you get sort of instant leadership. Also, right now, what we're doing is uh, one-year rotation. So whether you're at Code 13 for two or three years, you're at least going to touch two, maybe three branches. So you're going to get to lead different teams within the same tour and really get a diverse experience, you know, within one tour, which is awesome. Also, I'm hitting the one-year mark here at Code 13 this summer, and I'm going to shift over to be the EXO. So I'm going over to PL or to Personnel Law Branch 131 next, and then I'm also going to be the EXO. And so, you know, 20 or so attorneys at Code 13, it's, it's a pretty big team of superstar attorneys that you get to have a role in, in leading, you know, as a branch head, but then also as the XO, um, likely at some point if you're an O5 at, at Code 13. So lots of leadership, lots of getting to work, which is super stellar, awesome attorneys, I think is, is what to look forward to if you come here as an O4 or O5. Commander Denny Bicon and Commander Garrett Snow offered their perspective on the opportunities and the relationships at OJAG Code 13. Yeah, so I was at Code 13. I started out, I was dual-hatted with command authorities and ethics. I guess what sticks out most to me at being in 132 is the interaction you have with other JAGs in the JAG Corps because I really didn't know anybody after one tour at the RILSO. And after the years of Code 13, um, especially in all the email traffic, the call center, back and forth with people um, throughout the JAG Corps, that was, to me, probably the best 
part of it because I really liked working with other dogs and also our job was to help them. And so I thought that was, this was it took a lot of pride in that. After being at Brainhead for a few months, I was selected um, as a detail at the White House as uh, the ethics counsel to Vice President Pence and his staff at the beginning of the administration. So I was only supposed to go over for three months and it turned into 13 months. But during that time, like, all the skills that I learned at 13 really helped me um, in the White House. And I never would have been selected for that if not the faith that Captain Mosier had in me as well as, you know, Admiral Crawford. And it's all because of the work that we had done for him and for other leaders in the Pentagon. We had, Code 13 had such a great reputation and everyone there has well respected for their work. And so I think there was no hesitation in pushing me forward and going to the White House to represent the JAG Corps and the Navy, you know, in the office of the Vice President. But I think everyone should know about going to Code 13 is that after, again, after only one tour as a JAG, I didn't know how qualified I was to, to do much in terms of, you know, advising like high-level leaders. Um, didn't really know that much, I felt like. But then after leaving Code 13, I really felt I could do anything. I could go anywhere, advise anyone a lot more um, confident in the skills that I had acquired after being there for three years. So it's my, my favorite tour on the JAG floor because of the people that I worked with there. And, my name is uh, Commander Garrett Snow. Yeah, things I wish I knew. The camaraderie, first of all. Uh, you know, you, you hear a lot of kind of the so-called networks, right, that you form, oh, the, you know, the CBN number one network, the Strike Group JAG network, the Region SGA network, all these. None of those, in my personal experience anyway, have been as enduring as uh, Code 13. And I don't think we mean it to be an exclusive club or anything like that, but it's just the shared experience um, that is really powerful and, and networks really well. I mean, here we are, you know, more than a dozen of us on this call uh, from years, uh, you know, over the last, what I guess, 12 years or so of Code 13 time. It's a unique working environment with a lot of camaraderie. The people on this call are a testament of what a great tour it is that, you know, we have all walks of life here on a team's call on a, on a Wednesday evening, and we're all really enjoying recollecting our time at Code 13. It's a fantastic tour. Last but certainly not least on this JAG Talk podcast is Branch 134. Today we'll be hearing from Lieutenant Doug Cantwell. How you doing, Doug? Good. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Can you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure, so Lieutenant Doug Cantwell, I checked into Code 13 in October 2018. This is my second tour prior to coming to Code 13. I was down at Rilso Midland in Norfolk. Spent my first 15 months or so at Code 13 in Branch 131 and have since transitioned over to Branch 134, which is Command Authorities, where I work on a variety of things in Code 13's last but not least of the four branches. Well, thanks for that, Doug. Can you tell our listeners what it is that Branch 134 does for the fleet? We have a couple discrete portfolios. The one that I have right now is the complaints of wrong. So many SJAs out there and folks in the fleet understand what an Article 138 complaint or an Article 1150 is, or uh, EO complaints that you may see under your local simios. So the question is what happens to them? Eventually they work their way up to OJAG Code 13 and via us to um, the secretary for final action. Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, but Code 13 is actually in the regulation as part of the chop chain on all these types of complaints. 
authority has been delegated to Code 13. You'll see that in Jagman Chapter 3. And we act as a clearinghouse to bring these things in. We package them up for review and we do a legal analysis on each one. Fleet SJAs, that may be the occasional email you get from Code 13. We'd also be the folks you send an advanced copy to. Uh, the advanced copy allows us to take a look at things as they're coming in, uh, make sure folks are on the right track, and it gives us a sense for how types of complaints are being handled fleet-wide. And we can use that knowledge to then go calibrate, make sure folks are handling these complaints in the right way. Doug, in addition to being the complaints department, are there other ways in which Branch 134 supports the fleet? So in addition to the complaints portfolio, Branch 134 provides a lot of SJA advice. So we have a couple discrete portfolios that we refer to them as collateral duty SJA jobs. So someone who's attached to Branch 134 is assigned as the SJA to the chief of chaplains. And those of you who've worked with the Chaplain Corps know that they have a lot of interesting, sometimes difficult issues that come their way. So somebody in 134 is always dual-hatted as the SJA to them, providing them advice on a weekly, if not daily basis. Another similar portfolio is CHINFO, so the Chief of Information for the Navy. And we'll have somebody dual-hatted to provide them advice. Doug, for our listeners who may not be familiar with CHINFO, can you describe their mission a little bit more? Public affairs, right? It's a huge command. Anytime something big happens out in the fleet, be that a DFC, uh, relief of command, something like that, CHINFO's involved and therefore CHINFO's SJA is involved. So a lot of work on that front. But even outside those two big portfolios, 134 is often the place where folks turn SJAs at, at the fleet level or S2 level if they have an unusual question and they want to get an outside SJA advice or they just want to help understand regulations, authorities, etc. We're available by email, by phone to be involved in those things. And then there are certain long-term projects that I would say fit in where 134 is chopping on instructions before they come out to make sure we've accounted for concerns of the fleet, things of that nature. Well, thanks for that, Doug. Another thing some of our listeners may or may not know about Code 13 is its surge capacity and other ways that it helps the fleet more than just being a call center or the headquarters to reach back to. Can you talk to us a little bit about projects where Branch 134 members go out into the fleet themselves? Sure. So Code 13 is a big ward room. We have a lot of attorneys. And especially by the time you've done a full tour here, folks have gone through different branches. That allows us to have a pool of attorneys who are experienced in different aspects of administrative law who the fleet can then tap for investigations. So if something big happens, you need to quickly put together a team of attorneys to go out, do an investigation, document it, present clear, concise options consistent with Navy regs on actions that can be taken. Very often they'll call up Code 13 almost like a bullpen and working with the division director, they'll find somebody who may be a good fit and that person is out somewhere, TAD, assisting with an investigation, assisting with other matters, and then they come back. It's sort of a win-win. It allows us to use expertise that people develop in their time at Code 13, and it allows Code 13 attorneys to occasionally spend short periods of time back out in the fleet applying that knowledge. Well, Doug, as a relatively junior officer at Code 13, is there anything you wished you knew prior to reporting that would have been helpful in executing your duties? 
so when I knew I was going to come to Code 13, I heard a lot about it. I didn't I didn't actually know a lot about what Code 13 does. I think I had the misimpression that it was mostly ethics, which it's not. We have a great ethics department. They do great work. But I would say actually the majority of what Code 13 does is outside the ethics portfolio. One thing I didn't appreciate is that you have these separate branches and we've had current and past division directors who do a good job of rotating people through. So come to Code 13 and do a three-year tour. You're actually doing much smaller stints in different branches. And the idea is that when you leave, you're well-rounded. You understand a lot about how the JAG Corps works, but also how the administrative law system that governs the Navy works. And you're ready to go out and apply that in the fleet somewhere. I just add to that one thing maybe I didn't appreciate, right? You hear things about Code 13, working in cubicles and uh, terms like the Coneheads. I have been pleasantly surprised by the personalities of my coworkers. I would say Code 13 is a place where you could be called upon to go get yourself up to speed on an issue and then brief it to a high-level decision maker. And what comes along with that is that Code 13 will invest a lot in your training as a lawyer, but also they'll make sure that you're personable and you can go into a room and you can explain uh, sometimes a Byzantine and complex legal issue in a way that's amusing, engaging, to the point. And I would say that the folks who are at Code 13, to their credit, are very personable and collegial. Uh, They've been great to work with, something I didn't know coming in. Well, Doug, is there anything else you'd like Fleet SJAs to know about the Branch 134 portfolio and how they may have an impact on those processes? I would emphasize to Fleet SJAs who are busy people and are dealing with a lot of volume, that sometimes even though it can feel like they send these things up the chain and then don't hear back for a couple months, that in the meantime, there are many attorneys uh, in Code 13, but elsewhere, going through their work and looking at it carefully, not with an eye to be critical, but in a way to get decision makers to the best position possible. Even though it can seem like that work goes up the chain and maybe they don't follow it or hear about it again. It really is appreciated when Fleet SJs put together a good administrative record of whatever decision the commander that they're advising has made. And that can go a long way towards getting folks to the right decision. So we see it all the time. We see a lot of variety. And I can tell you that good staff work at the lower echelon SJA level is a tremendous help when things get up to us. Some of the best work that we see comes from people who proactively will reach out in advance, for example, on the complaints portfolio and engage with us. And we're always happy when we get calls from those people who've done their background homework, have specific pointed questions, and we're always happy to pitch in where we can. Well, Doug, thanks for sharing your perspective on Branch 134. And as we said at the outset, you're the last but not least, so I'll give you the opportunity to close out this edition of the Jag Talk podcast with any final thoughts on Code 13. Uh, I would end just by saying not only is Code 13 a great place to be from, which is something you've heard a lot, but it's a great place to be. Um, That's something my sponsor when I got here told me, and it really has proven to be true. Hope to see some of you out here. That wraps up this edition of JAG Talk. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you out in the fleet.
You have been listening to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Visit jag.navy.mil for additional chapters of this podcast series. Thank you for tuning in.